Hi, and welcome to the church at Lake Mead, and this is our sermon podcast. Today is September 12th, and Pastor Brad is continuing our house series on building a culture of worship. Let's check it out. Well, today we are in the second week in our series on the house. And uh, last week, as I said earlier, we started this series and we're talking about our culture. And we're talking for the next uh, three weeks after today about different areas in our, in our house that we want to just keep tweaking, keep working on. And so today we devoted, as I said earlier, the entire series, or, or I mean, tar- sorry, the entire day to worship. And as we talk about worship, um, I know that uh, for some of us, um, this is a topic that we need a little clarity on, right? Um, there's all kinds of folks watching online or, or here today. And some of you have been following Jesus for a while. Others of you are, are not yet followers of Jesus. You're kind of exploring faith. And I, I pray you feel totally welcome here. We want you to meet Jesus and understand there is no one like him. He'll transform your life. And he has an amazing, amazing plan for you if you surrender to him. Um, and so we're all about that. So I, I realize there's all kinds of folks that might be listening today and, 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 and with us. And so um, to be sympathetic to those who are newer to the faith or kind of struggling with, what is this worship thing about? I wanna um, start with that today. I wanna make the case for why you should worship God. Um, I wanna make that case for you. And I have two major reasons, right? And the first major reason I'm gonna talk about first, which is just this idea that when you really understand who God is, you'll recognize this is a, a natural, spontaneous reaction to meeting God. Like you, you're just gonna worship him when you meet him, okay? And we'll talk about why. But the second thing, and we're gonna talk about at the end, I've mentioned it already a few times today, is I believe there's something special about when the saints of God, when the people of Jesus meet together in worship, I think there are, there are healing, powerful things that are released into our life when we worship. I think this is a weapon in our spiritual battle that we're not using like we need to. And I wanna be a house that uses all those weapons because we sure know our enemy uses his weapons. So I wanna, I wanna uh, kind of introduce you to um, just a, a, a problem that C.S. Lewis had with worship when he was newly coming into the faith. If you know, don't know who C.S. Lewis is, um, some of you may not know. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. They've been movies made. He was a uh, British author. Uh, he was a, uh, um, a scholar at Oxford, a brilliant man, but he was an atheist for a lot of his life. He became a Christian later in his life. Um, and, and when he became a Christian, it, it just you know following Jesus or deciding to follow Jesus didn't, magically change all of the struggles he had intellectually. He had to work that out. Well, one of the things he had to work out was worship. And, and, and part of it is because Lewis just kind of wondered like, why does God need us to worship him? Like, like what gives? Uh, I'm gonna read to you one of his reflection. He said this, he says, we all despise the man who demands continued assurance of his own virtue, intelligence or delightfulness. And we, and we despise still more the crowd of people around every dictator, every millionaire, every celebrity that gratify that demand, right? Thus a picture at once ludicrous and horrible, both of God and his worshipers threatened to appear in my mind, right? It was hideously like saying, what I want most is to be told that I am good and great. So what does Lewis say? And he says, you know, man, none of us really like people who want 
those Instagram likes, right? Who angle and fish for compliments. None of us really like people who go around hoping that you praise them, right? And so, and not only do we not like those people, we don't like those in the crowd that give them what they want. Like we don't like those celebrities who are always hoping that you, you follow them and, and you just think they're a big, a big you know, to do. And we also don't like all those groupy people that are like telling them how much they're great, you know? And so Lewis says, I, I feel like that's what worship is. It's this big ego in the sky who wants people to tell him how great he is. And he, and, he, and he struggled with that. And then he, and, he, and he thought further, again, this is where Lewis is coming from. He's coming from a non-Christian point of view on this. And he says, and I think most religions um, are kind of locked in this relationship with God or the gods that are that, are that way. It's like, it's like we try to wrangle gifts from God in exchange for our praise, right? And so it's, it's not a healthy relationship between the worshiped and the worshiper, right? This is, this is uh, not what I wanna be a part of. Lewis was struggling with this. Why does God need our worship? But then as he became more like, you know, discipled in the faith and understood more about who God really is, he started to turn. He started to realize that God doesn't need our worship. That God isn't asking for us to, to tell him how great he is. That's not the point. In fact, he realized that in Psalm chapter 50, the psalmist says, um, if God was hungry, he wouldn't ask you because you don't have anything he needs, right? God doesn't need anything from his creatures, from his humans. God is completely self-sustained. But worship isn't about what God needs. In fact, Lewis began to realize that worship was about what humans need. And, and, and that when we worship God, he reveals himself to us. He opens up our eyes to, to truth. He opens up our eyes to something about him that is glorious and breathtaking and beautiful. And then he thought more about his former idea, that former caricature of this God who wants praise, you know? And he says, you know what's really silly about that? He goes, why would God, if such an absurd God existed, why would that God want my praise? I'm just a human. I mean, there are other creatures and heavenly beings that God has made that are far more glorious than humans are, right? So, I mean, how does it really give God any, anything for humans to praise him? He said this, I thought this was funny. He says, I wouldn't delight in dogs barking my praises, right? And I thought, oh yeah, that's humbling, right? Because honestly, we really aren't that special. Now, I think we are because God says we are, but I mean, come on, right? What are we? Like the psalmist says, what is, what is mankind that you are mindful of us? You ever walked and just looked at the stars and saw the vastness of the universe? Do you ever just appear into the cosmos and say, I am a speck of dust. I am really nothing. I mean, really I think, I think almost one of the reasons for the infinitude of the universe is just to remind us that we really don't need to think higher of ourselves than we ought to, right? Like, come on, get a grip. Man, just be thankful God loves you. Amen. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Yeah, amen. So what did Lewis, how did he conclude? What did he realize? He goes, you know what his main, his main conclusion was? His main conclusion was when you really, really come into contact with God, something happens that you just can't help. 
And he, and, he, and he got this observation from our reactions to other things that kind of take our breath away. It, it, you know, you go to a, a, sports, a sports event and somebody does something crazy. You, wow, can you believe what that, like, like the catch, like put my picture up there. This NFL starts today or it started Thursday. There it is, right? Odell Beckham, the catch. If you, it doesn't, you don't even have to be a Giants fan. You don't have to be a, a football fan, but you're like, no way did he just make that catch. Like, wow, what's the spontaneous reaction to that? The whole crowd just goes, whoa, right? Hands lift, mouth open, right? Praise shoots out, right? Wow, right? Or, or this, like, look at this next picture. A breathtaking scene. You're driving in the mountains, you know, and you come around the corner and you see something that just, wow, takes your breath away. Right? And Lewis will say about this, he says, we always spontaneously praise what we value. Think about this. He says, it is not out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another about how beautiful they are. Check this out. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. If you're here with your spouse, turn to, to him right now and say, I delight in you. We're gonna fix marriages right now. Right now we're fixing marriages, come on. And, and, and that's true, isn't it true? Like, like he goes on, he makes other observations. He says, he says, it's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is, right? Or to suddenly turn and you see this breathtaking landscape and not have anyone to tell. I mean, Lewis didn't live in the era of iPhones and Androids. Now we just take selfies and we're like, yeah, sucker, look where I'm at, you know, right? But we do that because we wanna tell people like, man, I'm in the most beautiful place ever, right? And my family's most beautiful family ever. And we put this fake Instagram together, like, look, you know, we are perfect, you know? Don't you wish you were like us? We don't do that, right? But that's the point, right? It's this idea of like, I have to share my experiences. When something takes your breath away, Lewis says, the, the, the delight of that experience is incomplete until it's expressed. So here's his argument, check this out. When you come to God, you come to something that infinitely eclipses the most breathtaking landscape, that infinitely eclipses the most spectacular display of power. When you come into the presence of Yahweh, when you come into presence of God himself, like he is, as he says, Lewis says, the capital O, the object the object to admire, which is simply to be awake, he says, to have entered the real world. And he says this, to have entered the real world and not to appreciate is to, is to experience the greatest loss possible. So he says to, to enter human existence and never to have encountered God in this way, to really see him for who he is and therefore delight in the praise of Yahweh, to not have that experience, Lewis says, is to miss the entire point of your existence. So he says this, check this out. I love this quote. In commanding us to glorify him, God isn't looking for your praise to stroke his ego. He's inviting you to enjoy him. He says, let me tell you who I am. And when he pulls the curtain and you see him, you are, you, your eye is filled with a vision so glorious and so grandiose that you just say, oh, you are so good. I delight in expressing your praise. That's worship. But sometimes, as I said a minute ago, the enemy works overtime in distraction. He works overtime in keeping our eyes horizontal. 
our eyes on the problems, our eyes on life, on the, on the storms. Like Peter walking on the water, he's fine until his eyes leave Jesus, right? And so I wanna look at a text this morning that gets our eyes back onto Jesus. Because when your eyes are on Jesus, you are gonna worship. Can I repeat that? When your eyes are on Jesus, you are gonna worship. The more my eyes are on Jesus, the more worship isn't gonna have to be forced. It's gonna have, to, it's just gonna flow. You're gonna, have, you're gonna have a hard time holding it back. You with me on that today? So let's go to Hebrews. We're gonna be in chapter 12. And I wanna walk through this text with you. And I'm gonna tell you, I think the writer of Hebrews, I think his pen was on fire when he was writing this chapter. A lot of you might not know much about this book that we're gonna look at today, um, but this was actually a, a sermon that was uh, written into a letter. And so this is kind of a sermon. And, and in chapter 12, we're coming to the end. And like I said, I think, I think his quill was on fire when he writes this because this is some powerful, powerful stuff. Chapter 12. Now we are reading a text written to ancient Jewish Christians. So there's gonna be some things I'm gonna have to help you with because they're gonna know this easily because they have the story in their minds. And I'm gonna help us know what they would have intuitively known because of their story. So we'll check that out. Verse 18 of chapter 12, it says this. It says, you have not come. Everyone say not come, not come. Let's try it again. You have not come. Everyone say not come. There you go. This is important. You have not come. And by the way, in a minute, you're gonna be really glad. This is not where you're going, okay? You have not come to a mountain that can be touched. So when you came to Jesus, you're not approaching a mountain that you can physically touch. This is gonna make sense in a minute. That mountain that you can physically touch that is burning with fire, darkness, gloom, and storm. To a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking that words, that those who had heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. Verse 20. He says, because they could not bear what was commanded, even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Now, what in the world is this guy talking about? Well, if you were a Jewish Christian, you would know exactly what he's talking about because what he's talking about is Moses's and Israel's encounter with Yahweh at Mount Sinai. This was a dark day of fear. Look what Exodus chapter 19 says. This is when Moses receives the law, the Torah from, from Yahweh. He says, this is the description in, in, in Exodus. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it with fire. All right, so I want you guys to use your imagination picture this, okay? He says, the smoke of it went up um, like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. So, we're, at, we're out Mount Sinai, we're in the desert. There's this mountain, they look very similar to the mountains here. And now Israel, the, the two million of them or whatever, they're all around this mountain. And now they're gonna enter into a co covenant with Yahweh. Yahweh has just delivered them from Egypt. They've just come through the Red Sea. They're now a few days out into this desert area. And now Yahweh descends, heaven is opened and Mount Sinai is gonna be the place where the covenant is established with, Yah, with, with Israel. But this is a fearful thing. The mountain's on fire. You know, I'm picturing like a volcano kind of thing going and you got this cloud descending. Check out what happens next. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke 
And God answered him in thunder. Now, the other day on Friday, there was this thunderstorm that rolled through, right? You guys caught that? I was walking into my backyard um, and it was, I love that because the rain was raining. The sun is shining all at the same time, only in Las Vegas, right? And you're like, wow, it's like sunny and raining all at the same time. And um, my little girl's football game got canceled, which was a bummer. But I love the fact my daughter wants to play football because I just can't wait till she scores touchdowns. And all the boys that have been making fun of her will have to, you know, live with the shame of that. But anyway, so, so we're home. Um, my, my daughter Carson's upset because she didn't get to play football. And so uh, I'm walking the backyard and this thunderstorm comes rolling through. And I'm telling you what, a thunderclap that was like two feet above my head, you know, goes off. And I'm telling you, the whole place shook. And I knew I was preaching this text. I'm like, whoa, a reminder for this desert guy who doesn't see too much of that, what thunder really does to you when you're right there, right? So think about, bam, right? So this is happening. The Lord comes down to Mount Sinai, to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called to Moses, to the top of the mountain and Moses went up, okay? Now, you might not have until this moment ever felt bad for Moses. You're gonna start really feeling bad for Moses now, okay? Because what if that was you and you got the short straw and you have to go up that mountain, right? In fact, look what the writer of Hebrews says. This is hilarious. I, I mean, it's sad, but it's funny. Uh, so the sight, so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. I am trembling with fear. Like that is what the writer of Hebrews says was happening as Moses goes up Sinai to meet Yahweh in this thundercloud that's just smoking. And he's, I am trembling with fear. Like guys, this is fearful. In fact, Yahweh says in chapter 19 to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord and look and many of them perish. See, Yahweh loves Israel, but Yahweh also knows Israel is so unfaithful. The people are just humans that are so prone to sin that if they're not careful, guys, if we're not careful, like Yahweh's holiness will just break through and kill them. In fact, the entire Torah, the entire law was honestly designed to keep humans safe from a holy God. Here's the thing. Sometimes we just forget who we're talking about here. We just forget that Yahweh is not to be trifled with. Talk about like live electricity. Like you better be careful, like, whoa, right? And Israel or Israel's entered into this covenant with Yahweh. And this is a fearful thing. Remember I told you in, in, the, in, the, in the text in Hebrews, he says, you did not enter that mountain. Look at the next part of the passage. But you have come. Everyone said, have come, have come. So you didn't go to that mountain, thank God. You have come, check this out, to Mount Zion. Come on, man. We didn't go to Mount Sinai. Things have changed. Here's what's changed. Not humans, we haven't changed. We're just as sinful. Friends, let me tell you something. We need just as much protection from uh, the wrath of a holy God as Israel did. But we are in a better covenant. Let's look at it. We have come to Mount Zion. Look, to the city of the living God. Check this out. To heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to, look at this friends, to thousands upon thousands of angels. Come on somebody, in joyful assembly. Guys, we do not have to be afraid of God. Why don't we have, look at the next text. Here's why. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Now, how are we made perfect? Look at this. 
To Jesus, I'll say the mediator, the mediator. See, in the new covenant that God has made with us, it is Jesus, the mediator, who takes away the fear of God from us being smitten by his holiness. Instead, Jesus on the cross took sin on himself so that we could come to God boldly without fear, that we could come to this mountain, not the mountain of fear, but the mountain of joy, that we could join the, the, the thousands of angels in joyful assembly around Yahweh, not afraid of his holiness, but knowing that his holiness, come on, his holiness has wrapped you and me because of the love of his son. He doesn't see you as a sinner. He sees you as his son. And because of that, we are able to come to God. Man, that is powerful. We are able to enter the same space as that fearful God. But instead of being afraid, we call him father. Man, look what he says next. He says to, to a new covenant. Oh, stay, stay on that one. He says to a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood. That's Jesus's blood that speaks a better word. Everyone say better word, a better word than Abel. Now, again, what does that mean? Well, if you're new and you don't know your Bible yet, that's fine. I wanna tell you this story. There was a, right early in the pages, there's two brothers, Cain and Abel, and Cain was jealous of Abel and kills Abel. And the text tells us that the blood of Abel cried out for vengeance. And that blood of Abel has been crying out for vengeance for all of human existence, for all of human history, the blood of Abel is crying for revenge and the sins of humanity are crying for revenge. But here comes Jesus, the, the, the author of the new covenant, whose blood speaks a better word rather than the blood that cries for vengeance, the blood of Jesus Christ for holiness, Christ for forgiveness, that in the blood of Jesus sprinkled on us, that, that he shed on the cross, no longer do we have to fear God, but now that sin has been taken care of and no longer do we have the blood of Abel crying for God's vengeance. We have the blood of Jesus crying out for our forgiveness. Man, that's good stuff, friends. That's who our Jesus is. And guys, that's why when we see God in that way, we worship. Look what the text ends. He says this. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him, talking about Israel, when, who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? He says at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things. So the writer of Hebrews is telling us there's a judgment one day when God's gonna shake both heaven and earth and everything's gonna be shaken except, check this out. Keep going to the next verse. We receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Our foundation is not things here on earth. And when the judgment comes of God and he shakes the earth and he shakes the heaven, our foundation's not resting on those things that can be shaken, but on an unshakable kingdom. And so he says this, so because of all that, let's be thankful. And what? Worship God. Guys, I don't know where you're coming from today. I don't know what your world is like in, in your personal life today, but I want to invite you into an unshakable kingdom. 
I want you, I want to invite you into the joyful procession of thousands of angels. I want to take, to take the roof off of our church so that we could see clearly what was really happening in the throne room of heaven as those thousands upon thousands of angels are in joyful assembly. And I want to tell you that that's what we're being invited to. That we don't have to be afraid of God because of Jesus on the cross. He took all of our shame. He took all of our sin out of the way. And now we can just join God and so worship him, it says. So worship him. Look at this last text in Hebrews 13. The next chapter, he says this. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. And I wanna end there today an opportunity for you to offer God a sacrifice of praise. Because I told you there are two things that worship does. I think worship naturally flows when you have a correct view of God. And I also think worship is a weapon that God has given to you and to me to use in our spiritual battle. In 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 10, it says this. It says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Let me end here. I believe worship is a weapon that can, that can demolish the strongholds of the enemy in your life. I believe when you start to sing those praises, faith starts to build. I think when you start to say, God, I know this right now is an act of faith because what I can see with my eyes is not what I'm singing with my mouth. What I see with my eyes is a marriage that's in distress. What I see with my eyes is cancer. What I see with my eyes is darkness. What I see with my eyes is some kind of difficulty. But God, I'm gonna speak that my God can do anything. And if my God chooses to, he can heal even the most, the most hopeless case. He can revive even the deadest marriage. He can do anything that God chooses to do. And so I'm gonna just trust that God is in control. And even if it doesn't work out the way I hoped it would, I know he's with me in that storm. And I'm gonna sing that until I believe that. Are you with me, church? And I'm gonna be a part of a community that does that. I'm gonna come on Sunday and say, let's link arms and let's sing the truths of Jesus until they're true in our life. Let's, let's believe that for God. And I want us to just have that opportunity to do that today. Um, I have this statement about faith I wanna leave you with. I want you to think about it because I think it takes faith to worship God. And here it is. Faith doesn't ask you to deny reality, only to believe there's more reality than you can currently see. So right now I want you to believe there's more reality than you can see. You can't see the thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, but they're there. You can't see the fact that God is working all things out for good right now in your life, but he is. You can't see the way God is gonna use these, these horrible things in your life to ultimately glorify him and help you. You can't see that, but he will. And so we're gonna be reminded of that church. I'm gonna invite you to stand and we're gonna sing that song we started with a little bit ago, that new song, House of Miracles. We're gonna sing the end of it one more time. And we're gonna bring this to Jesus and we're gonna say, God, I want right now for you to release your spirit's power in my life. I wanna destroy some strongholds in my life. I wanna lift my hands in belief. I'm, and I think guys, listen, let me tell you something. I'm gonna start just going on rabbit trail. I want you to know something. I think sometimes, God is just waiting for you to take some steps of courage and boldness. Sometimes, friends, lifting our hands, like, 
You know, that right there is a big deal for some of us. I think God is just like waiting for you to do something like that. Just express, you don't care. I don't care what anyone thinks. This man is worshiping Jesus. I wanna be a church where the men of this church make it clear where they stand in this battle, that we are, key, we are children of the kings. Man, men in this church worship Jesus. That's what this church is about. I want my daughters to see a, hus uh, to see a father and a husband that loves his wife and that worships the King Jesus. And I know that's what you want too. So let's raise our hands in worship and let's praise God. And let's believe he can do anything. This is a house of miracles. Father, would you just come into this place, release your spirit. God, I pray that we would have faith to believe that there are thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly around Yahweh. And that Jesus, God's only son, God in human form was nailed to a cross to make it possible for us to join that assembly. And I pray in Jesus name that we would have such a picture of God that we would do nothing but praise because you are worthy of all of our worship. And it's in Jesus name.